0: This is Paul speaking to the Corinthians. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus Beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The Word of the Lord. Well, it's good to be back in the pulpit. Uh, I, um, for some of you who may be here for the first time, uh, the uh, elders and the church graciously granted me three months. Uh, a sabbatical after seven years uh, in the in the pulpit to refresh and recreate Uh, so uh, I got to do a lot of things got to go with my wife uh, to California and spend some time in the Napa Valley Um, got to spend some time with my kids to go on vacation and I got to go on a pilgrimage to Israel which was fantastic I got to hike uh, from Nazareth to Capernaum to spend a week in Jerusalem And uh, it was a great time and got to uh, see some movies. Uh, In fact, uh, has anyone here seen uh, uh, Wonder Woman, Spider-Man? Okay, I was actually, when Wonder Woman came out, I was in Israel. And if you don't know it, Gal Gadot is an Israeli. And so you couldn't swing a dead cat in Israel without hitting a Gal Gadot poster uh, in Israel. And I I reflected and pontificated on the lives of superheroes because I had no time, you know. I didn't have to get sermons ready. I asked myself this question. What makes a superhero a superhero? Now you may think to yourself, well, that's an easy one. Well, it's the fact that they have these tremendous powers, right? They can, you know, they have the lasso of truth, you know. By the way, where was the invisible jet for Wonder Woman? No invisible jet, huh? Lame. Sorry. But the truth of the matter is, having superpowers does not make one a superhero, right? There are also supervillains, aren't they? No, it's still the same thing. What makes a hero a hero or a superhero a hero? The same thing. Essentially, a willingness to sacrifice themselves for someone greater or something greater than themselves. I think they're just bigger heroes because they're willing to give up so much. You know, there's always that line, whether in Superman, you're willing to give up this for these miserable people. It's their character that is tested and in the end that comes forward that wins the day, not their superpowers. It's their heart that makes them superheroes. Now, the reality of those stories, and we love them, it seems like comic book stories are what more and more comes out Uh, I think because of this very thing, this sacrifice motif. But in the end, they're fictional stories, aren't they? They're actors and actresses. They're normal people. They can inspire us, but they can't transform us, can they? But Christianity says something quite amazing. It says that we are the superheroes. That what God has done in Jesus Christ to us, has made us fitted that we are the ones who are meant to transform the world. Jesus Christ said, you are the light of the world. Didn't he? In fact, he said, you are going to do even greater things than I do because I am going to the Father. But the difference between the superhero stories and a Christian is the transformation that we're able to do is not because of what is in us but rather who is in us. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this surpassing power is from God and not from us. It's not from us. We have no superpowers. And yet what God is saying is that ordinary people like you and me I will use to transform the world. How do we make sense of this? Normally it's the strong that affect change, right? The strong and the brave that transform the world. Carlos, I feel small and inconsequential. It's almost too much to think that God has such a plan for me. But I want to tell you that the scriptures clearly say that God fully intends to use you. To change the lives and destinies of people all around you. And to usher in his eternal kingdom. And when you embrace your role. When you let what is in you shine in Virginia Beach. When you choose to be a part of his mission. You will shine. Well I want to unpack what I'm talking about in the next three hours. We need to ask. Three particular questions. Number one, what is it that is in me? What is this treasure that you're talking about, Paul? Number two, why is it in me? What's the purpose? Why in such a way is this happening to me? And then finally, what's my role? What's my responsibility to play in what God wants to do in my life? Well, let's begin and unpack. Number one, what is exactly in me? Little background on 2 Corinthians in this passage. Paul the Apostle is speaking to the church at Corinth. He founded this church by going into the city of Corinth, by preaching the gospel, and people believed and became Christians. But as Paul has gone on various missionary journeys, a, a new set of teachers have come in smooth talkers, accomplished in speech. And they're introducing a new gospel. A new Jesus that is actually no Jesus at all. We see from what they're doing, what they value. They're judging Paul on the outside. They're saying, look at him. He's inconsequential. His speaking style is not weighty. Rather, they're saying to the church at Corinth, focus on what we do and who we are. In essence, they're preaching themselves, not Jesus. And they're saying to the congregation, what you need to do is to change yourself on the outside. Paul ironically calls them so-called super apostles. And he's saying that what they're doing to you is not freeing you, they're enslaving you. Because the gospel is not about what you need to change on the outside. It's about what Christ has done and is doing on the inside. So Paul starts off this particular missive here by saying we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Well, let's talk about this treasure. We see one thing about the treasure. We see that this treasure is the equivalent of power, surpassing power. Notice we have this treasure to show that the surpassing power some translations say this surpassing power. Treasure and power are equivalent. And we also notice that jars of clay and us are equivalent as well. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this power belongs to God and not to us. In verse 6, that's right before verse 7, he says, For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we learn a little bit more about this treasure. When Paul says that this light shining in the darkness. Everyone would refer and think back to the creation story in the beginning, right? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning the creation was void and formless. It was dark. And the spirit of God hovered over the waters. And God spoke and said, let there be light. And the Spirit of God brought life on the earth. Whatever this treasure it is, is it brings life. It brings light. It is as the Spirit of God. It's shown. But it is shown not on the face of the earth. Rather this light has shown into your heart. And what it has done is given the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. People would then think about Moses. Because Moses, if you remember, was summoned up to the top of Mount Sinai. And he was given the knowledge of God. The Ten Commandments. And how they are to live and who God is and what He's like. And for 40 days he stayed up there. And when he came down, if you remember, his face was shining. As if with the glory of God that people couldn't even look on it. He covered his face. It was Moses that said to God, Show me your glory. And God manifested Himself. It's shown the glory of God on His face. But rather we see that this God has shown the glory, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And this word face could be translated even more presence. The presence of Jesus Christ. So what does this mean? What it means is this treasure is nothing less than the Spirit of Jesus Christ Himself who has revealed Himself and taken up residence in our human hearts. Jesus is inside of us. Verse 10 and 11 nails the point home, doesn't it? Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Notice the word always. Life of Jesus manifested. And it says the same thing in verse 11. For we who live are always being given over to death. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested. So there's no other conclusion we can draw. Than this. If you are a Christian. You are possessed. We believe some very weird stuff. Christians. That the God of the universe. Has taken up holy habitation in your heart. You are what is called a theophoros, in Greek which means a God-bearer. You are the bearer of God. The one who made the universe, which at current count is 93 billion light years wide. The one who made the ocean. When you go out to the beach and you see this massive body of water, Every particle controlled by God is reciting in your heart. And it's not part of Him who's reciting in your heart. It's all of Him. The Holy Spirit is not an it, it's a He. God has taken up residence in your heart. But this residence, He refers to as a jar of clay. A jar of clay, if you think back then, it was sort of a disposable. It was kind of like our plastic milk jug. It was easily broken. If you wanted something that wasn't going to spill, you would put it in a jar of brass if you had the money. But this is a jar of clay. I mean what a strange place to put such a treasure, right? Normally if you have something that's very expensive, you put it in something that protects it something that secures it so that people can't get into it so easily they can't steal it or ruin it but the reason that Christ has not done this is because you can't steal it because it's not an it he chooses where he will abide this treasure has not come to be hidden it's came to be seen and you are the presenter the God-bearer. Well, much like in the day of the Corinthians, we have our own super apostles in our day, don't we? They teach us a different set of values. Your value is what you do. What's your occupation? What have you done with your life? That's your value. Your value is what you have. How much do you have in the bank? Where do you live? What do you drive? What do you wear? Your value is what other people say about you. What's your fame? What's your recognition? What's your reputation? But this turns everything on its head, doesn't it? Because the most valuable treasure has decided to set up residence in the heart of humans who believe in him. One of the things I was able to do this summer while I was on sabbatical was to go up to D.C., go into the Smithsonian's. One of my favorite Smithsonian uh, is the uh, rooms, is the jewel room in the natural uh, museum history. You know, where they have these unbelievable priceless artifacts, diamonds and rubies and sapphires. And you sort of follow through the line looking through these you know heavy plated glass uh, windows to see these sparkling jewels and the piece de resistance is the uh, hope diamond and imagine my surprise when I got to the place where the hope diamond was and there was no window there there was a ten year old girl and she was wearing the hope diamond around her neck like a necklace this unassuming little child. And I thought to myself, this is amazing. I was instantly drawn, not just to the diamond, but rather to the child. What's so special about this child? Do you know anything about the Hope Diamond? It was commissioned created in 1668. A 45.2 carat blue diamond given to Louis XIV, the Sun King and yet here it is around the neck of this little unassuming child well of course I'm giving a demonstration they would never do such a thing would they because that's not what you do with treasures of this earth but it's what God did the amazing fact my friends is that God has chosen to dwell in you I don't know what you think about yourself Sometimes, every now and then, I do this. I look in the mirror and I say, I hate myself. I don't like what I see when I listen to the super apostles. I'm worthless. What have I accomplished with my life? But then I remember the gospel. This isn't a hunk of rock, this is the living God. So examine the treasure. Stand in awe before the God of the universe who dwells in your heart. Don't value yourself by the super apostles of this age who seek to take away the treasure by replacing it with a counterfeit one. Who is in you is Christ Himself. Now we have to ask the question why? I think there are two reasons. The first one's the best. Because He loves you. That's why. You want to be near the people that you love. Well, what is it about me that He would love? Ask Him. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? He loves me. He sees me. He wants to dwell with me. And nobody can take that away. But why is he in me though? What is is he doing? Why, Why is he near me? Why is he in me? See here's the great thing about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if there's one thing I've discovered about life, life brings life. It was the great philosopher Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park through chaos theory who communicated that life finds a way. Life brings life. And when you love someone and you have the power to do something for them that is good, that brings life to them, you do it. See, the great thing about God is God has greater plans for me than simply to love me. He has a greater plan for the world through me. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He said, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a, Paris, a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. I'm doing renovations on my home right now, one of my sabbatical duties. and We finally got a place. We had a rental property that we had forever and we sold. So we're able to do some things that I've been wanting to do. And so I'm doing the things and my wife will tell you that some of these renovations they have to be just so. It's measured thrice and cut once. It's I want that particular thing. Why? Because I'm going to look at it and I'm going to dwell at it and I'm going to enjoy it. There is a renovation that is happening in your life. God works in a different way than this world in this world they say you can have transformation from the outside in so go work out make that new fresh look start hanging out in the right places but that's not transformation it's just renovation Jesus Christ fully intends to transform me from the inside out and there is much death in me that needs to go I remember when Christ came into my heart at age 18. I didn't know really what I had said yes to, saying yes to follow Jesus. I just knew it was right. And I started to get these thoughts in my head. Things that I had long been comfortable with started to bother me. Why? Because they weren't right. They weren't fitting for God's child. See, that hope diamond, when you saw it initially, it was just a hunk of blue rock. We would have passed over it. We would have gone, hey, that's a neat blue rock. But the one who knew started the painful cutting process. Every angle perfectly faceted so that the brilliance and the light would shine from within. And Jesus Christ is using circumstances to shape us, to change us, To conform us. And it hurts. Often. His goal for us is no less than perfection. The child of a king. I mean, any of you who are a parent can understand this, can't you? When you have a vision for your child, when you see what they could be. But we are at best imperfect. But not God the Father. And so, Christian, we have an option to fight the process or to embrace what God is doing in our lives. C.S. Lewis, one more time, he said, the more we let God take over, the more truly ourselves we become because he made us. He invented us. He invented all the people that you and I were intended to be. It is when I turn to Christ, when I give myself to his personality, that I first begin to have a real personality of my own I want to show you something for you camping nerds out there this is an MSR gas canister and this is an MSR pocket rocket stove very small in fact I think it's called the micro rocket so when you go camping and weight is everything what you do is you take one of these which is filled with gas and you attach it to this receptacle, some of you are going, he is going to burn down the sanctuary. Yes, he is. Yeah, how's our insurance? That's what Barry's thinking right now. Insurance is good, Barry. Uh-oh, did I do this wrong? Oh, sure. Excuse me for just one second. Yeah, that smells like gas. See, what's the most important thing in this is not the gas, it's the valve. Because once you attach it Until you open this valve here, it ain't going to light. But once you open it, Lord, please work. You light it. That which is in here is drawn up through here and comes out. If you know anything about heat, it's a refining process, isn't it? It hurts while you're being purified. And yet what's left afterwards, some of you right now can't stand this. Your OCD is burning, aren't you? Isn't it? Turn it off. Turn it off. Turn it off. Uh, turn it off. Uh, turn it off. I turn it off. I think, it's, I think it's just uh, finishing up with the gas. Thanks, thanks honey. Uh, there's a bathroom back there, hon. Use the water. Okay. Let's go ahead and keep that away. Okay. What's the point of this? Give it to Ron. That's the point of this. The important thing to understand is there is a God and, it's, and he's not us but he's in us and he wants to do a work in our life. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For these afflictions that we experience are preparing us for eternal glory. Have you opened the valve to God's work in your life? For some of us, our Christian life is a struggle of the wrong kind. The Christian life is difficult. Actually, the Christian life is impossible. But for some of us, our struggle is we don't want to let God through in our hearts. We're going to try to shut down that valve because we're afraid of what could happen. God is the one who redeemed you. God is the one who watches over you. God is the one who will complete you. When you open the valve of your heart to God's work, He will shape you and mold you. And all of His energy, and all of His presence, and all of His promises will come true in a way that you could never expect. God wants to do a work in you. But you know what? God also wants to do a work through you. It's bigger than just you. God has a greater plan for the world than simply individual transformation. Paul is talking to these apostles about what is happening to him. And the other, excuse me, he's talking to the church as he and the other apostles go about sharing the gospel. See, here's what happens in the world. You wanna know why Christianity is hard? Because as you seek to live the gospel as you seek to share the Gospel, you encounter a world that is resistant to the Gospel. The scriptures say this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. But guess what? For some reason, some people, when they hear the Gospel, It's bringing them from death to life. And so Paul is sharing what is going on with him as he's taken on the life of Christ and taken on his mission. See, as you open your heart to God's presence and power in your life, you're going to start your life to resemble his. And life wants to find a way. And so what does Paul do to describe what's going on? He says, I'm afflicted. I'm perplexed, I'm persecuted, I'm forsaken, I'm carrying around in my body the death and dying of Jesus Christ. Like Paul, this sounds like a horrible itinerary. He's saying what's happening, these words afflicted by the way is like grapes being pressed down. Have you ever felt the pressure of the world on you? Seeking to put you in your little box I'm being persecuted. This word means pursued with the intent to harm. I'm being struck down. You ever felt struck down? It's all over. I'm perplexed, which literally means I'm mentally at a loss. I don't understand what's going on.